Greetings everyone, back after a little hiatus, but I'm glad to be back. Welcome to a Mediascope Brief. Let's just start right into it. HBO, they've confirmed that they experienced a cyber attack, which, quote, resulted in the compromise of proprietary information, according to Deadline Hollywood. In a statement, HBO said, We immediately began investigating the incident and are working with law enforcement and outside cybersecurity firms. Data protection is a top priority at HBO. I bet it is. And we take seriously our responsibility to protect the data we hold. What they're not commenting on is what content may have been stolen, and it's not naming any specific titles or the amount of data accessed in the hack. This morning, HBO chairman and CEO Richard Pepler sent an email to HBO employees alerting them of the breach, and it's quite interesting because this is not the first time HBO has been the victim of a hack. The first four episodes of Game of Thrones' fifth season leaked shortly before the linear broadcast premiere in 2015. Netflix and ABC were also attacked. Hmm. A hacker dubbed the Dark Overlord posted the first episode of season five of Netflix's Orange is the New Black in April when Netflix refused to pay a ransom. Remember, we talked about that here. ABC was also targeted by hackers when eight episodes of unscripted Steve Harvey's game show Thunderdome were released online early. So the hackers claimed to have stolen a digital copy of ABC parent Disney, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, remember I talked about that, and threatened to release bits of it online in increments if their demands for a ginormous amount of Bitcoin money were not made. And Disney said, we ain't paying, and they did not. The FBI investigated, and Disney chairman and CEO Bob Iger said later that he believed it was a hoax. Now, we all know the most memorable hack is the Sony hack, uh, the most memorable in recent Hollywood history, when thousands of emails and confidential information, including pay information for the top executives, were leaked online. So as I get more information about this HBO cyber attack, I will give you more information. I hope you're well. Cheers. And welcome back, everyone. What I didn't do at the top of Mediascope Brief is introduce myself. My name is Tachi. I talk all about media tech and pop culture news, and this is Mediascope. And in this Mediascope Brief, I want to rehash a story that I talked about a few weeks ago. The Knight Foundation suing the U.S. government on behalf of Twitter users who were blocked by Donald Trump. So we talked about this, and because Donald Trump is using his private account in a public way, it becomes a public forum. And so blocking people from commenting may be a violation of First Amendment rights. This is what we talked about before. So there's really no precedent set for the issue. However, now a court has ruled that politicians blocking followers violates free speech. This week, a federal court in Virginia tackled this issue when it ruled on behalf of a plaintiff blocked by a local county politician. According to the Wall Street Journal, Brian Davison sued the chairman of the Loudoun County Board of Supervisors who temporarily banned him from her Facebook page after he posted criticism of local officials last year. 
Judge James Kacharis found that she had violated Davison's First Amendment rights by blocking him from leaving comment because, in his judgment, the, uh, Phyllis Randall, who was a chairwoman, was using her Facebook page in a public capacity. Though it was a personal account, she used it to solicit comments from the constituents. And here's the key thing. You have a private Facebook or Twitter or whatever social media account. Even though it's private, if you're using it in a public way to reach constituents, it becomes a public forum. And again, blocking someone from a public forum could be a violation of First Amendment rights. They say, or the judge said, quote, the suppression of critical commentary regarding elected officials is the quintessential form of viewpoint discrimination against which the First Amendment guards. Kacharis did emphasize that his ruling should not prohibit officials from moderating comments to protect against harassment. Davison was only banned for 12 hours, and Randall is not facing any penalties. Still, this ruling is the first in a growing legal issue surrounding social media that has already reached the White House. I hope you're well, and I'll be back soon with another Mediascope. And you know, before I go away... Because we talked about this before, I want to know if your viewpoints have changed on it. Do you still think that public officials who use their private accounts have the right to block people? Now, of course, we're not talking about abuse. We're talking about just blocking comments because they don't like them. If they are using their private accounts in a public way, sound off. I can't wait to hear whether or not your views have changed or if they've remained the same. Cheers. next Mediascope Brief, we're exploring social media, namely YouTube in the developing world. Whenever we think of social platforms, we often think about the West, that is North America, Europe, okay, and Asia we think about as well. So that's not necessarily the West, but we do think about them. But Africa is usually left out of the equation. Well, now YouTube Go which is a data-saving version of YouTube that's intended to provide offline access in countries where mobile connections are slow and costly. Remember, we talked about this before. It is set to arrive in my home country of Nigeria in beta this year. Later this year, actually. So YouTube Go officially launched in India in April, and Nigeria represents the service's second location, according to Quartz. Google CEO Sundar Pichai traveled to Nigeria to make the announcement at an event yesterday in Lagos called Google for Nigeria or hashtag Google for Nigeria. Nigeria holds great potential for YouTube growth given the immense popularity of Nollywood films and Afrobeat music videos. By the way, if you didn't know, when we talk about uh, creation of videos and movies and films and programs, the U.S. is only number three. India is one, Nigeria is two, the U.S. is three. So there's huge potential, and it makes sense that India was the first market and Nigeria is the second market. Nigeria has 91 million mobile internet users, according to Quartz. Really, really cool. I wish I was there for the event. Given that many Nigerians limit online video viewing to work, where connections are steadier, YouTube Go will provide a workaround by enabling users to preview and download videos during opportune moments, like when they're at work. Um, scratch that, don't do it at work. <laughs> Which also helps save on data costs. YouTube Go was designed with the Indian market in mind and first announced in late 2016, subsequently went into beta in February in India, 
and YouTube said it intended to expand to other countries across South Asia and the Middle East, and now, of course, Africa. I'm sure Ghana will be next, and South Africa has to be somewhere in that mix. Well, I am ecstatic that we are getting access to this. What I want to know is from you all what you think about this, and it could be as simple as great, but particularly I'm talking to my Niger Massive, okay, Tesse, and um, all the other Nigerians on here. I am asking you what you think about this, and maybe your family has heard about this. What do they think about it? Are they excited? I'm excited. Okay, I will be back with another Mediascope Brief shortly. I think it's time to do some caller. You say what? If you don't know what that is, that's the segment where I take listener call-ins. And I didn't want to wait till the end of today to do them, so I'm going to do them right now. First up, we have some commentary on the judge's ruling on politicians using their private social media accounts for public commentary. Let's hear from Victoria Bacon and Kevin No Malone. Quick question about the violation of free speech thing with private accounts being used as public accounts. It's You said something about it being um, they're still allowed to moderate commentary to avoid a situation where there's harassment involved. So does that mean that they can block somebody if they're being harassed or do they have to like just keep individually deleting troll comments like um just was confused about that point hey tachi i'm calling in on your segment about politicians and public officials using their private social media accounts for public purposes and then wanting to block people that have dissenting opinions I completely agree with the judge's ruling. The moment that a politician or public official makes their private social media account into a public forum, but then want to shut down anyone who has an opinion that they don't agree with, then yes, you are shutting down their freedom of speech, pure and simple. The current U.S. president is now announcing policy changes on his Twitter account, but he wants to block anyone who calls out him and his administration for the constant flow of lies with actual facts. Being able to speak truth to power is part of what makes America great, not propaganda spewing wannabe dictators masquerading as president. Hello, Victoria. Thank you so much for calling in and asking your question. Now, I'm not exactly sure of the answer to that. I would need to go through and read the entire statement to understand more fully what the ruling is. But the ruling, as I know, as a whole is you cannot block just because you don't like what they have to say if you're using it as a public forum, which in this case was happening. So I don't know if now this Uh, this uh, particular chairperson is going to have to individually go through and delete commentary from said person or said persons, or if there is abuse involved, if they're allowed to block, because I would like to think that if someone is being abusive and is not adding constructive commentary, that they would be allowed to be blocked. What's happened, what's been happening is people simply did not agree and they were blocking because they didn't agree. And because you were the one that turned it into a public forum, now you have to leave it as public. So that 
the answer to your question, Victoria, is I'm not 100% sure how they're going to proceed, but be for damn sure that I will let you know as soon as I find out. And my dear Kevin, who happens to also be my fabulous co-host from TV channeling, Kevin No Malone, he had an excellent point. In fact, Kevin, I was like, after you finished uh, your statement, I was like, mm because there was nothing else that I could say. I was like, you're right, absolutely. And I 100% agree. You start, not you, but the proverbial, proverbial you, the politicians or the public figures, once you use your private account for public things, that's on you. So you need to be very careful if you're a public figure in terms of using your private account for that type of discourse. As Kevin mentioned, policy is being put out basically on the POTUS's Twitter and not the POTUS address, but his private address. So once you've done that, now you've turned it into a public forum. Anyone is allowed to comment. And if you shut them down simply because you don't like what they have to say, or it doesn't jibe with what you have to say, then you are squashing their First Amendment rights. It will be very intriguing to see how this is handled. And again, remember, this is not something that will necessarily set a precedent, but it will be interesting to see how many other cases, especially this one uh, where the person in charge has blocked people from Twitter, how that pans out. I'm waiting on my hands, uh, sitting on my hands, just waiting for the verdict for that to come out, to be honest. But I thank you both for calling in. And up next, we're going to have some more Caller You Say What. Hey, Tachi. I love all the all the technology news that you do. I was wondering if you could maybe do a small uh, review of Anchor, of the Anchor app, since we're about you know two or three months into the version 2 of the app. I was wondering if you could comment on all the features that have come uh, to the app in recent times and uh, what sort of things you'd like to see in the future. Thanks. Mike, thank you so much for calling in. I love hearing your voice and I absolutely love your station. So keep up what you're doing. That is really good. You know, I've never in everything that I've talked about, I don't think I've ever talked about Anchor. It's kind of like, you know, when you live someplace that's really cool and has a lot of, of, uh, monuments and a lot of sites for sightseeing, how you never go and see it until somebody comes to visit. That's happened with every place I lived. I never went around DC until I had cousins from Nigeria. Well, anyway, <laughs> that's how it is for me and Anchor. And I, when I first heard your question or your request, I was like, well, this is much better suited for somebody like the fabulous Avi Uniglit, our resident tech concierge, to answer because I know he has a lot of really good information on Anchor and other tech things. For me, if you're asking my personal opinion, I, oh, I, I was one of the diehard Anchor 1.0ers. And of course, it felt different when I came over here. I did come over here straight away, but if something felt different, obviously, and it is, it's a different app. It's not the same, but I've slowly taken to it. And because I realized it is what it is. The other anchor is not coming back. So you need to do what you can with this lemons to lemonade, right? <laughs> so in any case, two of the features that I think that are really uh, very helpful, I'm in particular loving the chat. I did not know whether or not I would like a chat feature on this because the beauty of the human voice is why you do it, why you play with Anchor, because you can answer people back with voice rather than text. However, 
there are times where it's a little bit cumbersome to go ahead and record a whole comment to that, to whatever segment. So I like the text because it allows you to comment directly on that without having, now what is this comment for again? That I like. That, I, that plus the ability to create a podcast, without a doubt, I think that is the single most important feature that they have added. And let me tell you why. There are so many, the, the, there's, there's no cost of entry <laughs> with this, basically. You can create a podcast without paying for hosting, without buying any extra equipment, without sitting there for months and say, oh, what am I going to podcast on? I can podcast on this. I'm not going to do this. It will be stupid. I won't sound good. Okay. And then you talk yourself right the hell out of a podcast. This is easy. You're already on anchor. All you have to do is hook it together. And not only do you get one platform, you get three platforms currently that you can have your podcast go out to, which is invaluable. So I think it's great because that pulls in people who wanted to have a podcast, didn't know how to get started, and they've made it incredibly easy to start. What would I like to see fixed? The interview feature. I think the interview feature is phenomenal. If it sounded good, it doesn't sound good right now. It sounds like you're on a phone call. And if you want to really have the good quality sound because you're having a really important guest like pretend I got Neil deGrasse Tyson. I would never do it through the anchor interview feature because it would not sound good. Part of what, you know, what you do with this is you also want to repurpose some of the things you do. That should be your goal with a lot of social media. Maybe not repurposing it in the exact same way, but finding something else to do with the work you've done. I can't do anything with the interview feature because it doesn't sound as good and sharp and clear as the rest of Anchor does. So that's what I need them to improve and fix. And once that happens, you're going to start seeing some even more amazing things happening with Anchor. So hopefully that answered your request or gra I granted your request and hopefully it was useful information. And I thank you for listening and for asking. Up next, I have one more, maybe not one more, but I do have another caller. You say what? So stay tuned. This is Miss Honey. I heard your voice on Lulu Island's channel, and I want to tell you, you are so endearing. I heard your voice in literally 10 seconds. I was sucked into your channel. So thank you for being an interesting woman of the world. Thank you for having information, and thank you for being an intellectual. I would love to hear from you. This is Miss Honey from Miss Honey's Creative Room. So please give us a call in sometime. We would love to hear your perspective on life and artistry and anything that you're doing in your daily life that you would like to share because this is all about creative expression and that is what we do we inspire we create we create action media to inspire other people so please come and join us and i would love to join you sometime too have a good day from la this is miss honey Miss Honey, first of all, I absolutely love your name. It's just so wonderful and smooth. It, it flows like honey. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for the very kind words. I'm so glad that you love my voice. I'm in love with your voice as well. And I'm in love with your station. And I love that you highlight 
artists, the arts and all of that, because I am an artist. So I really appreciate it. And I look forward to hearing more from you and connecting with you. Thank you so very much again. I, and it was again, a pleasant surprise to find, oh, here's somebody I don't know because we still need to do some more with search and discovery on anchor. So I'm glad that you reached out to me and now we are connected. Cheers.